0: Thank you, sir. Testing, testing. I'm on, thanks for that confirmation. And thank you, Dr. Goyette, for a job, my goodness. I don't know if, you know, I follow this a little bit closely because my world has been dependent on it, but uh, it's been a heck of a year for teachers and for administration across the state and of course in our district. And Dr. Goyette is phenomenal. She's not just someone that we bring up here and bless kind of on a whim. She is a phenomenal superintendent. And I'm not just flattering you. I mean, that might help me keep a job for a couple of years. But I mean, I was in a meeting where she was actually breaking the news to a lot of teachers without tenure status that, you know, there's a good chance that they may or may not have their jobs. I was a part of that crew. And the grace and the excellence with which she did it and has navigated this whole situation is just phenomenal. So, morning. If you were here last week and heard Dennis speak, let me hear a holler. That was good. The rest of you are like, I just don't want to say holler. That's weird. Hallelujah. Is that like a little more spiritual? Josh is shaking his head. All right. All right. So last week, Dennis beautifully brought us into this journey that we're going to take for the next month, just kind of recentering around God once again, pursuing Jesus. And I got to say too, just to honor Dennis, my family started coming to Northgate, which was Crossroads at the time, in the mid-90s, which now weirdly sounds like a long time ago. And Dennis just really loved me in a unique way as a father figure in a really tough season of life. And one of the things he did was deposit in me just a hunger to know God. In fact, last week, Dennis held up a couple books that have really guided him and his process of pursuing God. And I was flashing back, and I found a book this last week that Dennis gave me when I was 14. And it was by a guy named A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. And it was, uh, I mean, the language was old, and it was tough for me to access, but it like, my hunger kind of pushed me through, and I found a little birthday card from Dennis in there as well. It had a really great note. I thought about reading it and then I thought, nah, it's going to take too long. He says so much about how phenomenal I am and how wonderful a human. Just I don't want to share it with you guys. I'm not going to talk about that, okay? But Dennis so pure heartedly and simply wants to know God, if I can put it that plainly. And I've been in and out of the state over the years and I've done this and that but Dennis continues to be someone like in, 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 right at the top of my list of people that continue to make me want to know God. And I just thank you for that gift, Dennis. And uh, I want you all to know, I'm sure this room could stand up and share similar stories, but that deposit in my life has just meant so much. And specifically that book led me into some of Tozer's other works. And one of them specifically that still to this day is one of my favorite books is called The Knowledge of the Holy. And it's a book, well actually, I have a a quote here that I think is is from the introduction and it summarizes really well the thesis of the book. It says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Just let it sit there for a second. And he takes the rest of the book to basically describe the nature of God and to really, uh, to convict the reader on how often we think of ourselves more than we think of God. And he looks at the state of the church and I think I put up one more quote here. He says, the heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God. In all her prayers and labors, this should have the first place. I I went back through this book again this week and just I got stuck looking at, I had so many highlights and underlines across all these pages and the first time I read it was 20 years ago but it like continues to feed me and convict me and make me realize how much I tend to be the center of my world and how much we as the church make this whole thing about us, how easily that happens. And what I want to talk about this morning is just this idea of who we are or who I am versus who God is, who the I am is. And this idea of actually Recentering ourselves around God rather than living out of ourselves at the center of existence. And you know, when, I, when a guy like Tozer, the quote that was up there before, he talks about the state of the church. You know, this is, he died in the early 60s. So this is well before the internet age and uh, a whole wave of a, a new reality of self-centeredness. You know what I'm talking about? In the age of me, in the age of navel-gazing... I think the idea of pursuing God has to start with God. And the amazing thing, one of, the, one of my favorite things Mike Bickle says is it takes God to know God. And we can do a lot of talking. In fact, we're really guilty as a, a church worldwide, I would say, of talking about things so much that we think we're doing them, right? There's a lot of great things we like to spit around and talk and have a conversation around. And people like me stand up here and talk at you. And, and then we think, right, our duty's done, Right? I do not want to talk about God and not like, look God in the eyes this morning. right? So I know we've, we've worshipped, we've talked to God, we've prayed, but selfishly I just want to take a moment and kind of consecrate this window and actually look God in the eyes and say, I don't, I don't want to talk all about you. I would really love for you to reveal yourself to us. All right? So if you're up for it, just put your hands out like this and just repeat this simple prayer after me. Holy Spirit, show me Jesus. Jesus, lead me to the Father. I want to know you, God. Amen. Awesome. So the way I want to do this is just I'm going to kind of blitz through a few places in Scripture, some characters who wrestled with this idea, as well as just some key portions of Scripture. Mainly through the Old Testament, that just gives some highlights into this kind of recentering. And the place I'd like to start is at the start. What are the opening words of Scripture, everybody? In the beginning. Right, in the beginning, right? And oftentimes we rush right to the action that took place. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But I like to pause before that at just the in the beginning, God part and consider for a second. Like what was going on in the beginning, God, before any of this creation, before anything existed, and, and it's just tough for us to linger there, partially because we just cannot get our heads around it, right? It, we know just the fringes of the universe, like the places that we, that mankind has explored have been so minimal compared to the depths of the universe beyond it. And yet, so often, we rush to what we can know. And it's so healthy for us to come back often to that beginning place and go, in the beginning, God, before anything, before us, before anything we see. And to try to get our heads around the vastness of God. My five-year-old's favorite question right now, by far, is how big God is. You know, he's always going like, Dad, you think God is bigger than that building? You know, and, and trying to like explain to him, while at the same time, I have no idea how to explain how big God is. And I'm like, his eyeball kind of covers that blue portion of the sky, right? I mean, the fringes of the universe. And one of the ways that we can begin to get our head around this is to bring it into more human terms. And I love, there's a picture here of Earth. It's one of the more famous pictures of Earth taken in, in the late 60s, I believe. Some of you probably remember when this picture was revealed. I was there in the mid-90s, remember that? But this picture kind of blew the world's mind because you begin to get a scope of what Earth looks like, right? From way out there. And this is relatively close, right? And I love, you know, Neil Armstrong has this famous quote that helps me get my head around it. It goes like this. He describes like looking back on Earth, right? And he says, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the Earth. I put up my thumb and shut one eye and my thumb blotted out planet earth. Can you imagine that moment? But then look what he says. But I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. And this is the place that we have to linger. We've got to get back to our smallness. It's so, so wonderful that we recognize our adoption into this family of God as sons and daughters, but it's so important that it starts with the fact that we are small. We're small. He's big. Can you remember that part? Yeah. If there's a takeaway this morning, that's it. You're small. <laughs> Neil Armstrong would say elsewhere, he says, he, you know, if anybody would be acquainted with this mystery as you look out on the universe and see that blackness, you know, from up there, it would be someone like him. He says, mystery creates wonder. And wonder is the basis of man's desire to understand. Core to my role as a teacher is to just help kids tap into their wonder, into the mystery that exists out there, and let that wonder just naturally feed their curiosity into all kinds of learning, right? And so often we as the church, we, we think, let's force people to understand this good news, right? All this theology we have put together, when actually maybe we need to get back to some mystery, Maybe we need to get a little, un- little comfortable in the gray area there. Maybe one of the greatest gifts we have is to not give all the answers to the people who aren't coming to church. Maybe it'd be to sit back and go, wow, God is big. I don't understand everything. That could really revolutionize some things. Okay, we're going to move on. I- I'm never going to get through this. Uh, let's go to, uh, so God creates the world. Everything is perfect except The first time he says, it's not good that man would be alone. So he creates a helper for for man. It's this wonderful relationship between man and woman and God. And they're walking in the garden. And then we have this moment, this wacky story where a serpent comes up to Eve. And actually, go ahead and put this up here. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest. This is out of Genesis 3. The shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So I kind of drew attention there in the PowerPoint to a couple phrases, but what I want to suggest to you is that this original lie is not about who Eve is. It's about who God is. And the serpent, the enemy, knows that if if Eve's view of God is skewed, then Eve's view of herself is definitely going to be skewed. And Eve's view of other people is definitely going to be skewed. And you can see in the story of Scripture here the downward spiral that starts from this point. And it all comes back that simple suggestion, did God really say? Is that really what God said? Oh, God knows, blah, 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 blah. The serpent's not going after Eve. He's going after God and after Eve's image of God. And it's so important for us to come back to a true understanding of who God is, to obsess over who God is instead of who, over who we are. I had a moment this last week. What time we got? I was hesitant to tell this story. Last Sunday morning, Marissa and I had gotten back from a a trip from outside at the end of last week, and our whole family had dealt with some sickness. It was not a fun time, and I was kind of feeling my stomach was gurgly, but I had a friend in town. Some of you guys know Sean Van Tassel, and Sean and I wanted to go for a hike, and we thought, you know, when Sean comes to visit, we try to knock off a good hike, like a tougher one, and so we're like, well, let's Sunday afternoon, let's head up Pioneer Peak, and so... We decided we'd do it. I wake up Sunday morning before church, and my stomach is still, like, gurgling a little bit. And I have this kind of reservation, like, should should we really hike Pioneer? It's, you know, it's not a light mountain. And I don't know where you're at with this, but I'm still trying to hear God's voice. So I have this moment in times like this. I just pause and I go, God, should I climb Pioneer Peak? Should we climb Pioneer Peak today? And usually it's kind of this fuzzy area where I'm trying to discern God's voice. Right now, it's just clear as day. Just in my spirit, I hear this. No. Don't hike. Don't hike Pioneer Peak. And then what do you think the next words were that came into my head? (laughs) Did God really say? I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. It's E's fault. All right? Let's just establish that. But... Did God really say? And I, uh, I begin to go, like, I don't, I don't know. Did God really say? Does God talk to people? You know, I don't know. Who knows? It, I start having these mind games, and, and then uh, I come to church, and I looked at some other hikes online. I thought some other options we could do. I pulled some up, but I still am kind of like, I really want to do Pioneer. So I come to church. Dennis talks about pursuing God, hearing his voice, you know, all of this wonderful stuff, and I'm getting texts from Shawnees going, hey, I'm going to be in Palmer. Come pick me up. Long story short, I go, ah, whatever. Let's go hike Pioneer Peak. So we head up, and I'm, my stomach's a little gurgly, but I'm going, ah, it's going to be fine. We get to the South Peak in, uh, in about three and a half hours, which is a pretty respectable time. We're, we're cruising, and uh, we're feeling good at the top. And I'm having this moment like, seriously, what was that all about with, with God? And we're like, hey, well, let's head down. Let's see if we can get down in an hour, you know. So we start jogging. And the fog kind of sinks in pretty quick. (laughs) But we're really confident. We're really, you know, we've been through some of these situations. So we kind of pick up the pace. We're running this ridge, yada, yada, yada. And all of a sudden we start going, man, this feels really different than it did before. And we're in the thick of the fog and the clouds. And all of a sudden they part. The clouds part just for a second. And we can see this ridge way, way over there. And we're like, that's our ridge. That's where we're supposed to be, but we're here. And we look to the other side, and we can see Kinnick River and the highway there and just the edge of the Butte. So we're going, well, like we could try to hike back up in the fog and find that trail, but at least we know we're supposed to go down this way, so let's just go for it, and uh, and we'll see what we can do. I'm going to skip the next seven hours of bushwhacking down And just tell you, at one in the morning when we stumbled out onto the road, we literally kissed the ground and we were humbled, something fierce. I mean, literally took us twice as long to come down as to go up. And if you could see my legs right now, let's just say it's good that I'm wearing jeans because you'd be wondering who has been whipping me in the legs. And what I've had to deal with the rest of the week is not a question around how effectively I hear God. It's a question around how self-centered I am versus how God-centered I am. And I realized it's not just that I was not sure if I was hearing God's voice. I still mess up hearing God's voice all the time. I don't know. Sometimes I feel really great about it. Sometimes I don't. I feel like I'm confidently stumbling through this whole thing. But what I do know is in that moment, and at the top of Pioneer Peak, I'm going, see, I'm fine. I'm fine. And with our eyes on ourselves, this is like a low-cost reality check for me, and I know Dale Hammett and I are going to have a talk after this, and he's going to explain to me the GPS I need to bring and all the emergency devices and the flares, and I already know, Dale, okay? Okay, we got to skip. Let's go. Let's touch on Abraham here. So the story continues. After the fall, you have this downward spiral of sin. You come eventually. God attaches himself to this family, beginning with a guy named Abraham, and he gives Abraham this great promise that he'll have descendants that are, you know, a multitude of descendants, he says. And I'll bless you to be a blessing to the whole world. And Abraham is the father of all the major, these major faiths, right? So after a bunch of time goes by, Abraham still doesn't have any kids. He's going, this is looking bad. So he says, or the word of God comes to Abram in a vision. He says, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward will be grand. And Abram said, God. Master, what use are your gifts as long as I'm childless? Then he took him outside. Anybody know what he said? He took him outside and said, look at the sky. Count the stars. Can you do it? And I think God is, is using this example both because the stars are hard to count. If you counted the stars just in our, in our viewable universe, in our galaxy, it'd take about 2,000 years at one per second. One, two, get used to that. You can't count the stars. I think God is also leading him back to that fundamental reminder, you are small. I am quite capable. Abraham goes on to have a multitude of descendants. I mean, I remember this moment hitting me again probably around the same time I was reading that book Dennis gave me. My family was in Montana with my mom's family on Flathead Lake and we're driving out. My uncle had this boat. We're in the, it's, it's late at night. We're doing kind of a midnight ride. And for an Alaskan summer kid, you know, you don't get to see the stars too often. And so Montana, the sky, they call it big sky for a reason. And we're staring up at the stars and I just remember that sense coming over me, kind of the chills and this realization of My finite nature and how much I don't know. Filled with wonder. And I would say again, I'd point back to like what Neil Armstrong said. That wonder creates that desire to understand. If you don't have a desire to know God, I just get back to the mystery part and recognize that like there's a lot more here. I think this is what God's doing to Abraham. So Abraham's family does grow. Multitude of descendants. They go to Egypt as a family of seventy. And then over a few years, and then some, they grow to a family of about two million. Egypt has now made them slaves. And so things are getting a little bit rough. A guy named Moses grows up in the palace. It's kind of a complicated story. You probably know this, right? He's a, he's a Hebrew, but he's also growing up in the palace. One day things go a little south. He kills a guy. That would change some things in your life. So he flees Egypt and he goes out to the desert. And he's just kind of wandering around with some sheep, quite literally, before he wandered around with a human sheep a little later. So he's out there wandering with sheep, and he comes across this bush in the middle of the desert that's burning, but it's not burning up. It's just like this fire, this bush. It's a really strange picture. As I was like looking at this this week, I'm going, this is such a weird thing. There's a lot of weird stuff in the Bible. Uh, again, just let it feed the mystery. All right, so... Moses is talking. He's having this kind of identity crisis at the time. He's really obsessed with like, I was like, you know, at the top of Egypt here. Now I'm wandering around the desert. I don't know who I am. So out of this bush, God starts speaking. And God says, The Israelite cry for help has come to me. And I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses answered God, But why me? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'll be with you, God said. Then Moses said to God, but suppose I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your fathers sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what do I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. Essentially, the way I read this As God comes to Moses and says, I'm giving you a task. And Moses says, Well, who am I? He looks at God and says, Well, who am I? And God looks at him and says, I think you mean, who am I? Right? And Moses is like, I'm sorry, all due respect, God. Uh, I think you misunderstood me. I'm saying, like, who am I? And God is going, All due respect, son. You need to obsess yourself with the question, Who am I? Because if you're obsessing over who you are, you're not going to get anywhere because the fact is you're small. Remember that part? We live, I mentioned this earlier, but like you guys, our, our modern culture, I mean, I am old enough to have grown up through the invention of internet and my childhood was pre it all. And so I know the feeling of like empty pockets, you know, when we used to walk around without something in our pockets. And now this like the, the Facebook, Instagram, social media world, it's, it, listen, it has all sorts of gifts. That's that kind of ironic. Anybody? Gifts? Gee, that was, see that? That was accidental. That was just extra. Um, some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. It's for the best. But in so many ways, it's like this, uh, you know, I like to think, in, in, in classrooms growing up, maybe you do a little project on this is who I am, right? When you're introducing yourself and, and you kind of get to share that with your class. But some of these social media platforms are like this never-ending class project of who am I? And this look at my life, look how wonderful I am. And look, I, I, I love sharing pictures. I love you know sharing my life in these great moments. These great, uh, you know, my kids are incredibly amazing looking and uh, I love sharing photos of them with the world. I'm a little biased but it can feed this self-obsession, right? I mean and and I'll be the first to admit I have like when I see like a little bubble pop up on my phone that I have a notification about something like I can't just let it be. I have that like addictive personality. My wife can let those little bubbles sit there for days on her text messages. She doesn't do any of the social media but on her text messages, sometimes I'm just like, grab the phone, I'm like, let me look and see who's texting you. Then <laughs> I have to update her with everything. It's the same with the, with the personality test craze. And man, I mean, I've done it all, you know, the disc, the Myers-Briggs, the Finder, the Enneagram, which Disney princess are you? <laughs> that, <laughs> did I say that out loud? That, I've never taken that test. Jasmine, Jasmine Um, but it uh, but it can lead to these weird levels of self-obsession right I mean I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about the Enneagram lately and again some of you are like what's he talking about it's for the best put it over there with gifts all right And they're such powerful tools. I've seen the effectiveness in my own life and others. Such powerful tools. But we can obsess over them and obsess over who we are so much that we forget to ask who God is. I mean, if we applied some of the attention and effort we put in these personality tests into just pursuing knowledge of God, it would take us a long way. Joshua, we'll we'll do this one quick. So Moses is succeeded by Joshua. After Moses dies, Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land. And they cross the Jordan and they're they're standing, getting ready for this famous battle of Jericho, right? And Joshua is out by himself, kind of wandering, thinking, probably having a little conversation with God. And the scriptures pick up here. So when Joshua's by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. I love, love, love this exchange. In fact, I have a picture of it here, I think, on the next slide. No. But I am God. This is a picture of an empty box, my friends, because God doesn't fit in there. And when we, when we try to draw these lines around who God is, it's his favorite thing to just kind of like kick out that line. He just doesn't fit within our boundaries. Even at this moment of scripture where it's like so clear who the enemy is and who the good guys are. And Joshua's like, are you with the good guys or the bad guys? And God's response is no. But I am God. This would be a great, thing to apply to the current political climate in America, right? You you imagine going to God and saying, God, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And him saying, no, but I am God, right? And it's not to say God is disinterested in, you know, these systems of man, and he works powerfully through them. And look, we're all a part of the system in one way or another, and it's powerful to see those systems inhabited with this knowledge of God, but my goodness, he doesn't fit inside these boundaries that we like to fit him inside. It just doesn't work that way. All right, we're going to skip Gideon. Note Nothing against Gideon. If you want another example, go to Judges 6. We're going to talk about David for a second. And David was like the most famous king in Israel's history. They call it the golden age. Still to this day, David and Solomon um, in Jewish history. And before David was a was this legendary king, he was a a shepherd boy, kind of like Moses, out there wandering in the desert. I like to think, uh, or to imagine David doing a lot of like, staring up at the stars, right? In the tradition of Abraham, in the tradition of, in the beginning, God. And just staring up and kind of contemplating his reality. And look at, you know, this one of the more famous psalms, Psalm 8. He says, when I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you take care of him? I think it's so powerful. One of the things we talk about with David is that he's a man after God's own heart. I think one of the key reasons he was was because he was obsessed with God, not himself. He just had this awe and wonder that led him into this desire to understand God. To know his character and and that led him in that pursuit. And, uh, you know, the other thing about David is he became this legendary worship leader. He, he gave us all sorts of psalms that we still sing out of today, right? Really powerful songs in these traditions. And this, like, forces you to grapple with the type of things we're saying to God today in our worship. And one of the most powerful articles I've read in probably the last decade about worship and worship music was written by this lady who is a part of a... She works for this phenomenal Christian organization with work all over the world doing amazing things. But her background is in linguistics. And she began to, through a, a time of musical worship one day, was just started kind of assessing and breaking down the words that were being said, the metaphors that were being used, the grammar. And she began to like, you know, assess them through her linguistic background And began to realize one central thing, that all this worship is about us. And she actually, like that was literally, in fact, I think I have a portion of it here. It says, The songs portrayed God as someone who loves me, cares for me, saves me from sin, transforms me, protects me, heals me, and spoils me. What's the common word there? Me. I am the center of my worship and all he wants for me is to enjoy nice emotions. These songs produce a state of mental anguish that's highly self-centered. While I look to my weaknesses, I do not help the other. While fragile, I do not see beyond my belly button. Infatuated with my heavenly romance, I forget my earthly mission. She talks a lot about what we're saying about God and what we're saying about ourselves. She says, we say God is sweet, tender, soft, a breeze, a hug, a warm feeling. Us, I'm... I'm fragile, I'm weak, I'm weary, full of anguish, surrounded by sin, inadequate. And look, it's not that these things are wrong. These things are true about God and about us. But our words matter. And the more we, we declare these type of truths, right, we kind of start to tip the scales over here and we forget this whole other side of our God-centric worldview. I'm just going to kind of let that one sit there, all right? I can feel our uncomfortableness with that. So, let's look at Jesus, shall we? He seems to be a good person to talk about at church. There's this great passage in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus sits down with the disciples and in classic Jesus style begins to just ask them questions. This is how he teaches them. When Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? They replied, some think he's John the Baptizer, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And he pressed them, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus came back, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. Isn't this just so well summarized by Jesus? If you want to know who you really are, begin to ask who he is. Get yourself obsessed with asking who God is. Not just knowledge about God, but knowledge of God. Dennis mentioned last week, you know, that Paul, before he was Paul, when he was Saul persecuting the church, and yet he was like full of religious fire, right? He was, his motives were clean. He was like trying to serve God. And could we, in that same way, be so full of religion, thinking that we're actually doing God a favor and actually we're causing more destruction? You know, the first thing Paul said when he's blinded on the road to Damascus, who are you? That's the question we got to be asking. Who is God? And let everything else center around that fact, that question. So I just want to close by giving you a couple questions to consider I want to give you one more uh, quote actually by Tozer. Maybe take that off for a second because I know all of you are looking at that. So one more thing that Tozer says here at the end of his book. To know God is at once the easiest and most difficult thing in the world. It's easy because the knowledge is not won by hard mental toil but is something freely given to men who are open to receive it. But this knowledge is difficult because there are conditions to be met and the obstinate nature of fallen man does not take kindly to them. After this situation with Pioneer Peak this weekend, it, it humbled me as a, like, as a hiker, but it humbled me in my spirit just as a, as a human. It made me realize real quick again how small I am. And it's not that we just have to eliminate, please hear me, please do not eliminate reason from your faith. God says to love him with all of our minds as well, right? And yet there is a place where I remember sharing this, I probably shared this in church, but in the middle of my philosophy class in university some time ago now, this moment where the professor so eloquently took us through this mystery and then at the end goes, and that's why we can't know. And I wanted to jump up and go, yeah! And now we like feel small and look to something far bigger than ourselves. Tozer says, we grant mystery here, but not confusion. Isn't that Beautiful. Don't be confused by the nature of God and yet admit that there's a lot of mystery here and pursue him in that mystery. So I literally, I want to close by taking just like two minutes. You can put the questions up now. And I want you to consider these questions. This is how we're going to end. And maybe Dennis, whenever you're ready, I'll just let you come up and kind of close us out. But just take a second to consider these It would probably be a good idea to write something down, if something comes to mind. But let's just take literally two minutes and do a little bit of re-centering around
1: God. In 1600s, a group of Scottish Biblical scholars got together and they tried to summarize what is the purpose of man. And they came up with what is called the Westminster Catechism. And that catechism says this, the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. In your pursuit of God, one of the things you're going to discover, and I love what Nathan brought today, is that God wants to be your chief joy. The joys of this life pale compared to the joys found in knowing God. That's why David could to say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so I want to pray for us, can we? And uh, if you want to put your hand on your heart, if you just want to bow your head. Father, every person in this room is created in your image. And we are created with the hunger to know you, that sometimes get satisfied or distracted in the temporary and Lord I ask that you would release the gift in every person in this room to know the one who created them to have relationship with him I ask that you by your spirit Lord you would stir up a fresh desire to know the one who created us I thank you father for the the gift of wonder that Nathan has opened up for us. And I ask for every person in this room as we look to the stars. They are starting to show again, by the way. We look to the stars, we look to the mountains, we look to the glaciers, we look to the seas. Lord, stir hunger and the mysteries back into our wonder. I ask this in the precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus, amen.